Hello, and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And with me, as always, is my co-host, our Vice President of Policy, Derek Cohen. Session's kind of over. I mean, regular session, we hardly knew you. <laughs> well, it's officially over. We can at least say that much. Well, of course, we're here in the special session, at which there appears to be a bit of a log jam at the moment. But, uh, you know... So hope springs eternal that and, that gets and multiple resolved. special sessions on the way is what it sounds like. I think we mm-hmm. don't have to uh, we don't have to hide from that anymore. That's definitely a thing that we're going to do. So we have a lot to get to. Um, in I mean, it, even though the regular session is over, mm-hmm. uh, we definitely want to do kind of our own recap. I know that uh, our faithful listeners and faithful watchers know that we didn't have this episode last week because, um, well, uh, we both weren't here. Derek worked last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not. Uh, but Derek was on a uh, nobody pay- wants to work these days. Uh, on a panel with uh, with several other of our of our folks at TPPF doing a recap, and I think that's what we used that mm-hmm. episode. I thought was a good uh, a good um, good panel uh, good panel to go through kind of the wins and, and you know the good, the bad, the ugly of session. We'll do a little bit of that here, um, but we're back this week um, just so we can kind of chat about you know now that we've had a, a chance to exhale because that event happened like right after we got out of session and then went right back into special session. So um, so we'll have, we've had a chance to breathe and a chance to kind of evaluate kind of what happened over the session uh, again kind of doing a, a good bad and the ugly uh, but but I want to do a segment that I like to call but first uh, but first we have uh, some big news uh, and nationally um, a whistleblower a government whistleblower has said that the US has an intact alien vehicle uh, the Pentagon denies it US House of Representatives has announced it will hold a hearing on it actually so mm-hmm. I've got to ask you Derek do you think that there are aliens in the world or not uh, yeah, I mean, you know, here's where, you know, I have to get in the obligatory right wing joke about Hillary Clinton and, and whatnot. And I'll also put on the record, I'm not suicidal in case anything happens. Um, <laughs> no, all, all joking aside, it's the, the, the UFO issue has always, always fascinated me, not because, you know, in a, in a Mulder or Scully, I want to believe kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's always fascinated me in a way on how they always seem to keep tiptoeing around this this precipice but it never seems to to go over and my brother's definitely more plugged into that whole uh, that whole world than I am, and so he always gives me a decent uh, level set on that. In fact, he's the one who sent me uh, that particular that particular article. And Is he I read an up, Alien Hunter. What was that? Uh, not ne- not necessarily. No, <laughs> I unfortunately unable not at liberty to speak at what he does do for a living. But um, no, he um, yeah he uh, is plugged into that realm. And the aliens thing, like I said, it always fascinates me. But then when you start getting into it and the, the, the personalities involved, you're always like, <laughs> Uh-oh. couldn't they like, man, couldn't, couldn't a sane person have said this? You know, <laughs> you know, well, I don't know if they're real or not. I yeah. do know that they are real on TV, which are the only yeah. aliens that I know. So right. I don't know, maybe your favorite famous alien. Well, again, and we've had a bit of a debate on this, I know, in, in, in weeks past where it's like, where do we put Predator, right? Predator's whole shtick is being anti, here. yeah, being yeah. anti-alien. That's true. He's, but he's not of this planet. They're so, both aliens. Yeah. So it, again, they got this like transitive property of Predator. The only aliens I know apparently are from the '80s because when I started to think about the aliens <laughs> that I knew, it was like Mork from Mork and Mindy and Alf and and the the ones from the Simpsons. You know, like I don't know any <laughs> aliens past the '90s, so maybe I'll have. Don't to blame me. Them. I voted for Kodos. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Um, so now we know where you stand on on alien policy. All right. Well, we soft are, on aliens. We are going to get to um, a couple of issues. We're going to do kind of our recap, but we do want to get some issues that came up this week on uh, border security and things. Want to make sure we highlight that. As always, my favorite shameless plug is for our weekly news 
newsletter called The Post. Uh, and you can subscribe to that at texaspolicy.com slash the post, texaspolicy.com slash the post. It's our weekly uh, comprehensive look at everything that's going on, all the stuff that TPPF is working on, all the things we're commenting on. And, and it's got some fun stuff in there. It's got a, a weekly exclusive column from me. Um, and so we hope that you uh, subscribe to that if you're not already. All right. So we'll get into uh, the 88th regular. Like I said, we hardly knew you. It just went by so fast. Um, what I call signing day. I mean, this week has been, you know, signing day, of course, refers to uh, high school kids signing, you know, uh, the, yeah, exactly, the, the uh, athletes. But uh, there was a lot of bills signing this week. And so a lot of bills became laws officially uh, by the uh, by signing by the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get, like I said, some, some border talk. There's some bills that passed the Senate um, that is some unfinished business along with, you know, things like property tax and, um, and school choice, but also some issues on the border. So some important bills that passed the Senate this week. Um, and then, of course, you know, as always, we're TPPF, so we have to talk about school choice. And mm-hmm. so uh, we've we've uh, uh, done some work on that. And so we want to uh, chat about kind of where we stand on school choice. And that should wrap us up. But let's get into your Ledgeland update, which is really kind of the, the point of this whole episode, really, Derek. Uh, is, um, is there anything that you left on the table from last week when you discussed uh, what um, our recap that you'd like to chat about today, about the, the 88th regular? No, no. And I, and I, want, I want to take that opportunity to frame this as well, because I think Greg did a good job during that discussion. You know, obviously, obviously, especially with our particular priors, we can point to, you know, what was left on the table or what didn't get done. You know, and we'll point towards school choice. We'll point towards uh, property tax relief, even though I I, I still hold out hope that uh, the two chambers will, again, whether it's Lou parent trapping them or them just uh, working it out on their own, you know, that they'll come to an actual uh, agreement and, and something that can move forward and uh, school choice being what it is. Uh, obviously, we know they're probably going to be coming back. I believe it's been reported that they'll be coming back in September for that. But that being said, with those and with those particular, you know, black eyes, you know, fully forefront, I you can't say that this wasn't a successful session on, on many, many conservative issues. Now, again, of course, it pales in comparison when some like marquee items don't get across the line. But, you know, we've talked at, yeah, at this table about things like the Death Star Bill, uh, so-called, uh, things about that have been done in the education space, such as with the curriculum mm-hmm. uh, work that a lot of folks around here have worked on, as well as folks uh, up at the building. You know, just the absolute running of the tables that uh, child welfare uh, had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these aren't small things. These are things that actually affect real Texans. And, you know, just because they're not uh, Texans with big Twitter followings or Texans with big um, big microphones in front of them doesn't mean that it doesn't help. I remember one of the debates um, that we've seen in the child welfare space. I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Representative Busey's bill um, about actually these kids that are in uh, child welfare system, or I'm sorry, the child welfare system, actually getting them backpacks or suitcases so that they can store, pro- so, so they literally have a place to put stuff that they own. And like, if you look at that, what, you know, is there a fiscal note there? Is that going to change? You know, is that a massive game changer for child welfare? No, but as far as providing an element of human dignity, those caught in that process, mm-hmm. I can't think of many things more important. Now, when we did have, we did have serious structural reforms. You know, we did have a CPS omnibus. We did get rid of, um, uh, hidden foster care and a number of things in that particular realm. But that being said is those are the things that usually don't get seen 
by, you know, the pundit, you know, class of which, you know, I mean, we're sitting here doing pundit stuff right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the people that are usually the chattering class on the legislature. But these are things that affect real people. And there are going to be real people that have uh, real uh, benefit from this. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, you know, I printed out, we, we obviously keep really good records and track of everything that passes and particularly the stuff that, you know, conservatives work on and TPPF is an organization we work on. And I've got, you know, seven pages here of, of, of things that passed. I mean, these aren't just things that we worked on or things that conservatives wanted or some agenda that we, you know, uh, printed out at the beginning of the year. This is actually laws that passed the House and Senate and are on their way to the governor. And I've got over 70 items here, uh, just as you said, on all kinds of things from education to election integrity to health care to energy <coughs> um, and, you know, fiscal issues. I mean, it's, it, you know, there, there was there was a lot. And, you know, we, we do need to be able to talk about uh, those more. And, and we'll probably package this in some kind of way and get it out to people so that they can see, you know, all of the uh, the conservative policies that were passed. One thing I do want to back up, though, um, on this, and, you know, you talked about framing, it's, to me, I see it as, you know, there were really two buckets this year um, and, and things that, are, that really encouraged me. So the one is is good conservative traditional policy, right? Like things like property tax or school choice or things like, you know, fixing uh, bad government. I mean, even, even Medicaid, which, you know, conservatives aren't too hot on Medicaid, but the fact is it exists and it exists for certain people and it should work for those people at least. Um, mm-hmm. And so there were some fixed even Why are we on, paying for it if not? Exactly. Why are we paying for it? I mean, a lot of conservatives would say, well, that's the point is yeah. that we shouldn't have uh, <laughs> uh, government welfare. But I mean, to the extent that we're, we're going to have it, you know, to the extent that we're going to have government programs at all, Medicaid yeah. included, uh, they should work for the people for whom they're intended. And we did a lot. Uh, the legislature did a lot uh, to fix uh, some of those things. So point is, there was a lot of, of sort of uh, boilerplate, good conservative policy that passed. Yeah. And then the second bucket, uh, which I thought was very encouraging, um, is that, you know, there's always been kind of the three legs of the of the of the stool, so to speak, in conservatism with with national security, uh, fiscal policy and then and then social policy or, you know, what people might call the culture wars. Well, you know, for a lot of conservatives, the culture wars are the war, the war for mm. the future of Texas, the war for the future of the country. And that can include all kinds of things like, of course, the the gender modification of minors and the sort of radical transgender uh, racial ideology that's being pushed by the progressive left. You saw that in bills, you know, trying to limit the kinds of materials that are in classrooms, the kind of, you know, sexually um, explicit materials that are in libraries. You saw Texas really rise up. And, you know, it's one of a few states that's done this, like Florida and others. But really, Texas rise up and say, absolutely not. We're going to we're going to proactive directly and aggressively push back against this leftist uh, propaganda, this leftist agenda that is intentionally and forcefully trying to change society. So I was really encouraged Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that conservatives who may in the past have looked at that and said, well, you know, those are the culture wars. We'll let certain organizations fight those or we'll let, you know, yeah. other, you know, other folks fight that. They stepped up this year and said, no, this is something that we're going to take on and we're going to go win. Well, it, it's 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 so fun. I mean, it's 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 laughable because you see the folks who are, oh, why are, why, you know, why are particular groups getting involved in these fights? Why are folks fighting these culture wars? You know, these were never an issue in the past. And it's like, well... You know, if, if this were just like complete unprovoked unilateral action, if this was Iraq invading Kuwait, this would be one thing. Right. But no, what this is, is it's essentially, you know, oh, no, you will use these pronouns. 
Mm. You will have this material in schools. You will do X, you will do Y, you will do Z. And, and if you don't do it, you're a bigot and you right. need to be silenced and take your free speech taken away. Yeah, and it gets to the point where, and you know, one of the thing, another one of the wins that uh, happened this uh, session was HB 17 with the rogue, right in rogue prosecutors. You know, they go, you know what? The people who elected me are overwhelmingly liberal, so I'm not going to enforce conservative law. And well, the hell you will. You know, you are actually taking taxpayer dollars, so you will be enforcing the laws of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things where, again, it's not necessarily, you know, the conservatives saying, you know, conservatives like trying to tell these particular offices or these particular individuals what to do. But when seen left to their own devices, we've seen the outcome of that. And I think that is no longer palatable for a vast, vast majority, as your polling has indicated. And and uh, that's true. And, and it, it also, you know, we didn't get everything done. I mean, there's still some things um, out there. I mean, I know we we eliminated DEI at universities, but I mean, you know, the, the proof will ultimately be in the pudding as to whether some of these um, the, some of these good policies actually are executed in a way that actually starts to turn the tide here and creates um, and creates the culture at some of these institutions um, that has right. been eroded and rotted out uh, in the last uh, five or ten years. And so there may be more work to do. I mean, we just saw, you know, we had these really good bills, HB4 and HB18, which are, you know, supposed to protect your data privacy and, and protect kids online um, from some of the harms of social media and protect kids from from being able to access, you know, pornographic websites and those kinds of things. And then this huge story breaks uh, this week in the Wall Street Journal oh, about goodness, how yeah. Facebook, or sorry, Instagram, um, is not only allowing these networks of pedophiles um, to to exist, but it's actually promoting it. And as as they uh, engage with the material, it actually promotes and and uh, and and pushes this material out to uh, to people who it thinks you know would be for this audience or would be part of this audience or whatever. And so there's still you know even though we've got you know really strong protections and frankly uh, the bills that we passed uh, in this legislature, some of the strongest in the nation, uh, you know, just reports this week demonstrate that Texas has a has a lot to do. And it's funny because, of course, the 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 leftist critique of that is not, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do to, you know, to hold Instagram to accounts like actually, Brian, it's minor attractive persons. Right. Yeah, exactly. Here comes the language, right? Gender affirming care, minor attracted. I I don't think minor attracted persons is going to take off like uh, like gender affirming care. quite. Probably not. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, again, another report came out either the end of last week or this week that the University of Texas right here, you know, a few blocks up the street is housing this free speech police organization that is going out and writing these reports, basically saying that if you're a conservative organization, you're spreading disinformation. I mean, obviously, it doesn't say it that way, but that's kind of the point is that these leftist organizations, you know, they, they put out this material that is supposed to look like, you know, rigorous research or it's supposed to look like academic research when really it's all just propaganda. And of course, they use that then to to promote these new rules and regulations about what you can and can't say online or to uh, or to essentially what the purpose of this free speech police organization is at UT is to give people license, give advertisers license to to no longer give those organizations any money and saying, well, the Washington Examiner or the Daily Caller, you know, is spreading misinformation. And so we're not going to advertise with them anymore. And, and piggybacking on that, I'm sure you saw the story uh, that the SPLC has had, like, for Moms for Liberty and whatnot uh, yes, to their— Yes, Now, now, now granted, nobody—nobody, nobody, I don't even think, you know, any centrists really give— 
the SPLC the time of day anymore just because it's basically just a you know a scandal ridden grift mill at this point but that being said is again it's it's weaponizing it, it's it's this appeal to authority weaponization and mm-hmm. I think that people are just coming around to it so and I, I noticed that some of those groups are probably the, the best thing that happened to them was being added to that list because they did a bunch of fundraising or something mm-hmm. off of it it probably helped their their uh, their donor it's, base. it's almost like certain sh- sheriffs going after Ron DeSantis uh, for uh <laughs> Precisely, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, and there's been some there's been some news in the been some new entrants into the uh, presidential race as well as uh, as DeSantis. Um, all right, so you know, I just uh, just to wrap up kind of this segment, unless there's a few things other things you wanted to hit, um, I just think it, that it's great that Texas is leading on this. That Texas is not ignoring this. That you know there is certainly a strain of of conservatives who say, well, we shouldn't. You know, there's other things to worry about, or you know, that's you know that's not we can't. You know, the stuff they said ten years ago about you know no one's ever going to force us to believe that men can be women and women can be men and you know of course here we are so i think it's i think it's um i think it's encouraging that a place like texas which is really the you know the the, the beacon of freedom and liberty and prosperity and opportunity uh is taking a very aggressive approach to this but while also at the same time uh not ignoring you know our our uh, conservative bona fides mm-hmm. so to speak and, and hitting all that so um anything else on the on the, on the uh the regular session that we wanted to hit before we <laughs> like move so on to the special I mean, regular session was like years ago. I mean, it was almost like, what, 10 days? Yeah, man, it just feels it's hard to see. Um, uh, so that the, the sort of the finish, you know, the real wrap up there, of course, is um, is that the governor is now signing these bills. So I want to highlight a couple. Um, you know, they were they were really interesting to us. Obviously, Monday was a big one. Uh, was the uh, the preventing the gender modification of minors? That one was signed uh, on Monday. Um, that was a really big one. That uh, goes into effect on September first. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there was a huge fight over that. And so the fact that we, you know, that the conservatives got that through both the House and the Senate and got that to the um, the governor's desk um, is, a, is a real big win. Um, anything else that any other the other bills that the governor's been signing this week that you've been following that, that well, just to let our folks know, like, you know, it's not just about the legislature. We got to get this. Well, you got to separate two things. You got to separate the signing from the signing ceremony. And we're also one of the states that doesn't have a. Uh, a pocket veto. We basically have pocket signing, called filing, um, <laughs> where wherein if if the governor doesn't affirmatively sign something but doesn't uh, veto it as well, then it still becomes law. Um, but, I don't think I knew that. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah okay. Great. Um, yeah. Well, not only that, but then if you've seen like we were starting to see the signing ceremonies. Like mm-hmm. for example, I mentioned HB seventeen. Uh, you know, you and I were part of uh, SB four ninety, the medical transparency, um, and and yeah. So the the whole signing process again we don't want to read too much into it saying like oh well this bill was filed versus this one was signed so the governor might like must like this one and hate this one when these are really just in the weeds uh, administrative functions at this point now don't get me wrong if there's something that needs vetoing i think we can clearly say that if it's vetoed that the governor doesn't much appreciate it or doesn't appreciate a particular element of it that he'll usually discuss in his veto statement Mm -hmm. but for example the ceremonial signings um uh, you know, I wouldn't say oftentimes, but sometimes uh, happen, you know, a decent amount after they've actually had the um, practical, you know, the actual practical administrative signing. And in doing so, that's more of an opportunity to to lift up the policy uh, item, to lift up some the authors, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when the heartbeat bill was signed that I, I'm surprised at how they fit all those people in that room. <laughs> um a lot of it, a lot of fathers for that victory. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that was and that was, you know, just kind of illustrative of the point that this is something that is usually more for, 
you know, celebrating the effort, celebrating the policy victory. Um, and obviously, you, and the governor does take advantage of it to really uplift the what this means mm-hmm. for the state. I also think it's interesting to to see some of those, particularly at the ceremonies where they get all the groups and everybody and some of the strange bedfellows mm-hmm. that end up, you know, uh, sit, standing behind the governor and smiling and waving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does show, um, you know, a diversity of, of opinion, particularly, I mean, even on just the conservative side of things mm-hmm. that, you know, some organizations can disagree with, uh, um, with each other on certain policies, but then can get together on, you know, health care or an education right. or something even though we may disagree on how to do property tax or how to do um you know uh, the border or something like that. we'll take hb 17 alone i just looked at the uh you know the photo spray from that and it was you know there was i wouldn't say as many but there were a decent amount of democrats in that picture mm-hmm. and so that goes to show like this you know when it comes to rogue prosecutors you know it's not a matter of you know a partisan fight even though a lot of people wish you know want it to redound to that because that makes it both easier for them to understand but also it makes it it it, it has a it comports with a cleaner worldview of you know republicans bad democrats good or whatever the case might be but in, but obviously when it comes to policy making like it's a lot more complex there's a lot more interests at play and there's to be honest with you there's a lot more Three, I would say, I wouldn't even say three dimensionality, but dimensionality among the electorate. Then we want to, then we want to tend to uh, believe. And that's also something we don't spend a lot of time on because it's not sexy and it's not conflict. Which is a lot of these bills. I mean, a lot of the stuff that conservatives are taking, you know, a lot of credit for and a lot of victories for. A lot of them had huge bipartisan majorities mm-hmm. uh, that went through. Some of them were unanimous. I mean, I think the the online bills that we that we talked about here. I mean, most of them, if it had any pushback at all, um, I, I think there was just a few. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's coming from the hard right. You know, it's coming yeah. from the far right uh, more than anything. But the you know, for example, the trans. Transparency bill that we <clears throat> that the governor signed yesterday that we were a part of, um, you know that that bill had huge bipartisan uh, um, uh, support for. So you know, despite all of the the mudslinging that goes on, or the fact that you know that everyone says, "Oh, we're such a conservative state and we're such a hard right state," and you know Democrats haven't won here in 25 years, or whatever that, that that doesn't that belies sort of the fact that there's a lot of bipartisan agreement. Um, that at the end of the day, we're all Texans, and that there is mm. some bipartisan. There's a lot of bipartisan agreement that gets overlooked. Um, by a lot of the legislation that gets passed. Um, but in speaking about not enforcing the law um, with those rogue <laughs> prosecutors, uh, that's a good segue uh, into um, uh, yesterday, I believe it was, that the Senate revisited some border bills. Um, yeah. And that was part of the call. Everyone's, you know, obviously the <clears throat> the biggest drama is over what we're going to do on property tax. But part of the call, of course, was the border bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Senate did its job yesterday and passed three really strong bills I want to talk about and get kind of your your uh, opinion on this and kind of what's next for these bills bills. Just go through them real quickly. Um, the the first one made illegal entry a state crime. Obviously, illegal entry is a, is a federal crime, mm-hmm. uh, but making it a state crime uh, opens up uh, certain opportunities for enforcement. Um, it, it created, the second bill created the Texas Border Force, which um, was was a, a uh, which was not a bar, bipartisan uh, 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 thing during the regular session. In fact, there was a lot of, of um, controversy around the Border Force, and mm-hmm. frankly, it was a lot of misinformation, and we can talk about what that was. But the second bill. We better go up to the force. University of Texas. Get find out about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, the third one um, in, increased penalties for human smuggling, particularly the 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 cartels and the human smugglers who who. Um, uh, oversee these stash houses, right? Mm. Which is where all of you know you they go in these horrific, you know, these horror stories about fifty people living in one room and not being able to eat or whatever. So that was the third bill was that it increased uh, penalties for that. 
Senate uh, has done a really good job this year uh, of crafting this legislation, of making sure that it, that it got the support it did, uh, and getting it out again. Uh, but here we are in the special, uh, and the Senate has, passed, has had to pass these bills again. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your take on, on these bills in general in terms of right. policy, uh, but then also in terms of uh, progress? So we, de- it, it, we, we have a, a lot of headwinds here, specifically on the, the border issue. Not least, one of the things I can't believe we mentioned, uh, talking about how we're in the special, uh, is that the House adjourned sine die already. Uh, after passing the two items uh, that were specified by the governor, and that which which included the stash house bill, mm-hmm. and of course the you know we can talk ad nauseum and we have in the past about the points of order this this session and how they've just been absolutely insane and off off uh, off the reservation, but that being said, is that was one of the ones that got popped um, on that because ironically enough because it included the illegal entry, <laughs> you know, so uh, they were saying that it was a uh, multi subject so. The governor said, okay, here's the call, property taxes, and was very prescriptive about that, and then also stash house. Mm -hmm. And so they pass the stash house bill out of the house and then again gaveled out. So the stash house bill, I think, is a... Is a good one, but again, it's it's a necessary but not sufficient one into into fighting uh, uh, the transnational crime we see specifically down at the border. And I think that one of the things that really needs to be established is we need to know, and it needs to come from the Democrats. Is we need to know what is your solution, mm-hmm. because you know obviously we've you know been working in the policy space on healthcare for a long time. We knew that you know the post Obamacare policy arguments were like what okay so what's your solution? Our solution is repeal, and then it was repeal and replace from the Republican it, side. Yeah, yeah and the Republican right. side, and then it just turned out, to, or the conservative side, and then it just turned out to be like, well, we just don't like it, or and it's Obamacare like Obamacare light or something. Yeah, awful. and yeah. then it, t- it turned out to be like all these, you know, fits and starts trying to, you know, triangulate or quadrangulate where the, uh, you know, the electorate was. But it turns out is we've never actually, you know, we've never on our on our side on the healthcare side came to an agreement on the particular underlying law and i think we all we all don't like it but again it's what do you do about it then right and that's the dark argument. same thing with this you know obviously you know the the democrats given their uh, chicanery in the house aren't you know don't much care for the border force don't care for enforcement you know just, just like other crimes um but w- then what's the what's the plan then because you know we're seeing you know we're seeing children dying on a near daily basis, we just had the issue, the, the video come out yesterday where the child uh, was, you know, almost almost dehydrated to death, uh, forced to go through all that. You know, this is an this is a humanitarian crisis, and their answer it, it seems to be open borders. Mm-hmm. And the, the irony is, and I know that even libertarians tend to agree. They're like, oh well, we need an orderly process which all these people come in. Well, if you do that, we still need to stop people and check them. Right. We still can't have people coming across the border. So how are you going to? So the border part does, of the order of the orderly process yeah. is being able to say no. So, <laughs> so it almost is. It almost requires secure. I wouldn't say it almost. It requires having a secure border so that we can throw it, throw the gates mm-hmm. wide open to their effect. But the problem is if you're not willing to do that, then you are just perpetuating the status quo. And I want to know from their side what absolutely is in that status quo that they find defensible. Because right now the, 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 the perception is from the Democrat side, let them in, feed, house, and clothe them indefinitely. 
let them make their case that they're that you know that asylum is is warranted if they don't like their living conditions back home, um, or if there's too much crime back where they live, they can come into America and that's you know worthy of asylum, um, and then and then set everybody free into the country. And of course, that's not an orderly Advanced system. Parole. Right, that's not an orderly system. I mean, that's you know, and and that's what I mean by the end of it. There's no there's no point at which you know the Democrats are saying you know even if they say you know let them in feed cloud house and, and clothe them for an indefinite period of time until they you know meet you know go before the judge mm-hmm. they're not saying oh yes and then a large majority of those people should be deported or should mm-hmm. go back home or don't have a justified reason for you know claiming asylum and staying here they've never said that yeah. it's just it's just that's part of the process to get as many people uh, into the country as possible I mean that's their system it's not orderly but that's their system uh, mm-hmm. for doing that and that's why you know we I think we rightly look at that and say well that's an open borders policy that- well and, and we're and and the cartels are getting rich off of it the cartels are getting rich people are dying people who genuinely want a better life for themselves and their family i mean obviously we know that that's you know intermixed with a lot of unauthorized economic migrants which we can debate the policy when we actually debate immigration but all of that is so far down the road if we can't even secure the border mm-hmm. and and you know to the other point is uh, you know, there's a ton of people, there's countless number of people who are trying to do it the right way, who are trying to come in here uh, and are, you know, getting backlogged five, ten years, can't get an answer. Uh, meanwhile, we've got, you know, tens of thousands of people coming across every week, every month. Um, and so it's just it's just a mess that, you know, back to the Texas laws, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks will look at this and they'll criticize and say, well, that's not enough or that's not going to stop the flow. Right. I mean, people have to understand that, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, it still is a federal responsibility to do this, and that's because the federal government has, you know, much more of the resources uh, to be able to go in, and, and not just that, but the resources, but the legal authority to do right. things that the state can't do. And so, while we're, you know, obviously the state is trying, you know, making illegal entry a state crime, that will now open up opportunities for our for folks in the state for state-based law enforcement to enforce the law. The Texas Border Force is literally creating a force that will help in, um, uh, enforce uh, border rules, a state-based uh, force to, to do that. And then obviously going after the, the cartel, specifically targeting the, the stash houses and the cartels, increasing the penalties, making sure that, um, and again, this wouldn't necessarily, I don't think it's a deterrence because of all the money that's being made mm-hmm. for, through human smuggling, but at the very least, the people that we catch, we can put away for longer periods of time. Again, is that is that the end-all be-all? We can wipe our hands and say we've secured the border? No, but these are some things that, that definitely are moving us in the right direction. Um, so anyway, but, uh, you know, but but the, the point remains, it's still just passed the Senate. The House has not passed these bills uh, in, the, in the special. And so the, the prospects for, other than the stash houses, uh, so the prospects for these bills ultimately to get to the governor's desk still are kind of in limbo. Right. Uh, and, there's, and there's some questions about whether or not the House can, I don't know what the process is, you tell me to reopen, un- unsigny die yeah. um, uh, the legislature to, to consider some of these legislation. So, so actually it was interesting because Chairman Leach was in yesterday uh, receiving messages. Now, I mean, it's one of those things where obviously he didn't have the quorum to uh, transact business because literally nobody else was there outside of staff. Um, but, you know, he was in there, you know, on the gavel and receiving messages. So I I would I, I, something I've been interested in, something I've been looking into. I have yet to discover a mechanism whereby within this special that they can reconvene. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I have not seen it yet. Um some of the, I would say, again, not to make a value judgment, but worse ideas out there mm-hmm. were like, oh, well, why can't the governor just order, you know, that this session, this special session's over 
um, and then call another one immediately. And I was like, oh, I could see the curb appeal for that. But, you know, here in the United States and in Western democracy, generally, dissolving legislatures is usually not something we go to. Um, <laughs> and so even when you get, uh, you know, legislators, you know, doing things that you might not agree with, you know, the fact that they're still duly elected and have constitutional authority is, is something that you need to square with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things where I don't know what the, me- the a mechanism may exist, and I'm more than happy to read any suggestion that yeah. it does. But I, I simply don't know of a way to come back on that. It's true. I mean, because that's definitely someone like me who doesn't know the, quite the yeah. process as well as, as you do. Why but are you that's a tyrant, a, Brian? Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I, but it's a good point. But that, you know, if they, if they can't get any business done or the bills that are passing in the Senate can't get passed in the House, then, you know, then it looks to people like me on the outside, well, then this special session's basically done for. You know, mm-hmm. you need to, you need to call another one, which which obviously the governor doesn't have a problem with because I think there was a three-hour uh, recess or <laughs> three-hour, you know, lag before the first special session was taken. So, um, so if that's not an option or if there's I guess if folks are looking at, you know, what the options are for the house yeah. to, to see if they can reopen, I guess, is, that's probably not the, the official reconvene, I suppose, reconvene. Uh, no, and I'm like I said, I'm I am more than willing to hear out any argument, but because I'm completely open minded on that. I just have not heard a pl- I've just not heard a plausible one outside of letting this one expire. And then just having a separate second special. Call. I have heard, you know, Senate can do whatever it wants to do. The House can do whatever it wants to do. The governor can, you know, add to the call. And, and you know, maybe that's true. I don't know. But well, the governor can add to the call and the Senate can do whatever it wants to do. But the House really <laughs> can't do anything because it doesn't exist at the moment, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll we'll have a House uh, next week and we can we can get some of these bills, particularly the border bills and other, and other issues yes, uh, sir. done. So uh, in the few remaining minutes that we have, of course, you know, we are TPPF, so we have to talk about school choice. I kid it actually is one of the, the most important issues that we're going to continue to, to deal with. And despite, uh, op, you know, the opponents of school choice uh, say declaring victory, uh, when, of course, that's not what happened at the end of the regular session, uh, everyone knew that uh, these bills were going to come back. Everyone knew the governor made it very clear that, mm-hmm. that we were not done um, uh, by any means with uh, with school choice or ESAs, uh, that these would uh, that these would be coming back. So, <clears throat> um, you know, my question is, you know, I'm just looking, are you hearing any intel about about what's going forward or any or any um, you know legislation there are no bills so we don't really have any policy necessary to talk about other than what's kind of out there and what's already been voted on and those kinds of things but in terms of negotiations and creating a package or something like that perhaps for the special session what do you hear well the only thing that I would I would put out there I would put out to the the broader public is that the negotiations are ongoing and not only that but I do believe that and again because it's been publicly reported that again they're going to be reconvening close to September mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I really wouldn't want to imperil too much of those discussions. Uh, but that being said, is I, I, I think the symmetry of, of power here is going to force a lot of folks to have to come to the table. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's some of the votes that have been taken are such bad looks because it's almost like an article of faith for uh, some of these individuals. You know, we had HB 100, which was a fairly sweeping school funding bill. Hmm. Uh, which where the Senate went over and put, you know, a, a modicum of school choice in there. Not even like, you know, not what you or I would consider universal or even, you know, a, you know, a great opening salvo, but like enough, a, enough of a beachhead on there to say, OK, let's give this thing. Let's give this thing a go. Right. And the House was like, oh, 
well, that's dead. That bill's dead. I'm not even going to have it. And I was like, well, it's because now you're t- now you're because you, what you don't want to do or what the individuals who decided to make go down this path didn't want to do was they didn't want to put even the bad school choice Republicans on record for a vote d- voting down teacher pay raises, voting down uh, increased funding. Now, I want to say something about that, because everyone says, oh, well, that you're holding teacher funding hostage. Nobody that Texas does not fund teachers. We at the state level now we there are mechanisms by which we can get money to the school districts earmarked for that, but largely teacher salary is a local issue. Mm-hmm. Texas establishes the minimum teacher salary. In fact, that's what you remember, um, uh, Representative Talarico. That was kind of his approach. Let's give teachers a fifteen thousand dollar pay raise, and that was essentially it. just again let's let's raise that floor. Right. And he it was perfectly within his uh, within his constitutional authority to file that bill. Now we can debate the merits of the bill, of mm-hmm. course. But he was you know that was not a controversial bill from a controversial bill from a structural standpoint. Right. Like it's something that we can all agree. So basically, if, I mean, if you're upset the teachers don't make as much as they make, that's on the districts. Not I would on say the go state. to go to your superintendent who's making three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year while sending out snarky tweets. And, you know, ask ask why the teachers aren't getting a cut of that. Mm-hmm. The, the administrative bloat in Texas K-12 education is absolutely staggering. And, of course, they go, oh, well, we have to, you know, Americans with disabilities. Like that. Yeah, some of that is driven by federal policy. Some of that's driven by state policy. I'll, I'll fully stipulate that. There is no justification that a school district with, you know, three digits worth of kids, even if it's 999, needs to have a superintendent making $300,000 plus other benefits mm-hmm. because that is not even that would not even uh, withstand market scrutiny. Right. Now of course obviously schools not a market because you know god forbid that we have any sort of competition that we have any sort of a pricing for value for labor in that because I guarantee you're not getting that much labor out of these superintendents. Of course that's not my beat that's uh James Quintero's beat when it comes to <laughs> naming and shaming superintendents for uh, for what they're making and checking their pockets that way. I'm, I just say it's one of these ones where the, the sanctimony from some of these guys that, you know, take home, you know, these princely sums far right. more than the actual governor of the state and, you know, have this micro fiefdom, but still think that they have the imprimatur to, like, dictate to us what that's going to be. It's insane. Yeah. So, you know, they're making tons of money, but they're they're begging for it. Like, you know, the district is broke. Okay. Um, I make $350,000 and we got this brand new Jerry World looking uh, stadium. But, yeah, why are schools underfunded? You yeah, know? water parks or whatever. But yeah. then, you know, of course, we have teachers that spend an average of $500 of their own money on yeah. classrooms um, <clears throat> for materials Take it out for the superintendent side. Yeah. So, there's so it's not even about you know more or less funding for for uh, for schools, but w- which can be a debate. I mean on both on both sides, um, but but looking at the prioritization of what they're spending their money on in right. the first place. I mean that that we should probably start with that. But getting back to <clears throat> you know the the current debate and the negotiations uh, in the last couple of minutes. You know the one thing I just want to put out to conservatives, which and this goes this goes all the way to Congress and it goes on onto a number of different issues just that I've seen over the last twenty years of of watching all of this stuff and being part of it is, you know, a lot of times conservatives, uh, when we when we fight with the left on this, the left's uh, negotiation tactic is, you know, if if you want something and I want something, that a compromise is you get a little bit less of what you want and I get nothing. Mm. And that, to me, has been how uh, conservatives have been treated or, or school choice proponents 
have been treated. Not all conservatives. Yeah, but, not all conservatives. Yeah, have been treated in in Texas uh, for the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Is that you know anything that has as any modicum of choice, anything that that allows parents in the smallest, even in the smallest way. Uh, to exercise some kind of leverage or, or over their over where their kids go to school, you know, unless you're you know basically special ed, you really have no ability to move your kids other than uprooting your entire life and moving to a completely uh, different district. But in these in these legislative negotiations, particularly on this, you know, conservatives always come to the table with school choice or with ESAs or whatever, and always leave with maybe the opposition gets a little bit less of funding here or 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 authority there or reform there, a little bit less of what conservatives want on the other side, and th- but then actually walk away with nothing. They haven't gained anything. Right. And then, you know, th- some some of our folks end up declaring victory because, oh, well, we took away this, you know, thing that they wanted, that they were willing to give up in the first place, uh, and they walk away as though that's some sort of negotiating victory. And I'll just tell you, you know, watching the governor... Um, uh, seeing the grassroots and the and the up you know the the uprising really not to use that sort of terminology but uprising of parents over the last two two and two or three years, I just don't think that's going to be good enough anymore. I just don't think that uh, that this governor is going to accept something where we get nothing right. uh, on school choice. I certainly don't think parents are going to accept, uh, parents who then become voters uh, next year uh, are going to accept anything less than than uh, than some form of, of school choice or some right. some legitimate, uh, meaningful kind of, of uh, ESA. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. But, you know, I'm like we've said, the educrat establishment now exists to perpetuate its own existence. It doesn't, there's not a single, I mean, they, they don't even talk about the kids usually in their own rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more, why are you trying to defund public schools? Not, why are you trying to defund students? Because that's quite, it, it, you, you want to step in that octagon with us, we'll have that dis- discussion any day. <laughs> but it's, why do you want to defund the, you know, the administration? And I'm like, well, I'll take that one on as well. But, yeah. but I think you're exactly right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We appreciate you um, and and uh, being with us as always and, and listening and watching. Um, I, I did want to give a pitch. Uh, last week we had you know not only the event that Derek was at in which we did a recap. We also had uh, the governor was here uh, on Friday, and so we have that video that you can watch uh, as well as the, the lieutenant governor was here uh, prior to that. I think right after. I think even before our event, he was here giving his. Lieutenant recap. governor was here on. Mon- was it Monday or Tuesday? I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, it Tuesday, was even before our event. And so yeah. we had the lieutenant governor, then we had our event, and then we had um, uh, the governor was here all giving their recaps or legislative recaps. So if you missed any of that, all of that is on our, our YouTube page uh, along with uh, every other episode that we've had of uh, The mm-hmm. Right Idea. So you can go check that out there. I want to give a, a pitch for that as well so you don't miss those things. So we really do appreciate all of your listeners, all of our watchers. Uh, and as we like to say every week, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next week. <laughs>